Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You, Lord, for Your love and Your grace, and we thank You for Your Word, that it is living and breathing and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's not an old, antiquated book, but Lord, it truly ministers to our hearts today as much as when it was written 2,000 years ago, this text we're looking at this morning. So Father, I pray, Lord, that we would all just cry out and desire, Father God, and be desperate for You, that Your Holy Spirit would touch us and transform us the way that you transform the apostles and those first century believers. So, Father, we know that the power comes from you, so we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, the book of Acts picks up right where the Gospels left off. And as we saw the last couple of weeks, that after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, that he then came after he rose from the dead and walked amongst the believers for 40 days. And during that time, he he did miracles and wonders in front of them, and then he then ascended back into heaven. And as he was ascending into heaven, he went away. But before that, he had told them that, wait in Jerusalem and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now in John chapter 20, he breathed the Holy Spirit in them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week, but I believe it bears repeating. In the Bible, you see the Holy Spirit in three different ways in the lives of every person on this planet. He's either with you, He's in you, or He's upon you. He's with the whole world. The world calls Him their conscience. The only reason the world knows any right or wrong is because of the Holy Spirit with the world. The reason that we know that that harming a small child, that most people know that harming a small child is wrong, is the Holy Spirit is with us even prior to salvation, giving us an understanding, at least some understanding, of right and wrong. Now, when we become born again and we give our life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit goes from being with us to being in us. And that's what Jesus said in John chapter 20. He's after he had risen from the dead, and, and being born again couldn't happen until he had risen from the dead, triumphing over sin and death. He breathed into them, and it says, he said, receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit went from being with them to in them. And if you're here this morning and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you confess that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, the Holy Spirit has gone from being with you to being in you. And now He leads and guides and directs your life. You're never alone anymore, and praise God for that. He'll never leave you nor forsake you, and you are heaven-bound, as DC Talk would say. Amen? So you're going to heaven, you've got the promise of eternal life. But it's interesting, as we look at the text this morning, that there's something subsequent, even more than that, in the life of a believer. Not just the Holy Spirit with us or in us, but the Holy Spirit being upon us. And in Acts chapter 1, He said, You shall receive power, and the word there is dunamos. So we get the word dynamite or dynamic. And he said, you shall be dynamic. You shall be explosive in your walk with me when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, why is it that some Christians are so on fire for God and there's so much fruit in their lives and they're touching people around them and people's lives are being changed and then yet there are other Christians that just seem to be sleepwalking on their way to heaven. I believe the difference is the Holy Spirit being with you or in you or being upon you. And when the Holy Spirit's upon you, you're going to be contagious. As the Bible says, as Jesus said, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water, and you're going to impact those people around you. So the book of Acts is the Acts of the Apostles. That's what it's entitled, but it really could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the lives of the Apostles. Now last week, as we saw the first half of Acts chapter 2, we saw the source of this power. Now the power is not rooted in you. The Bible says, in you dwelleth no good thing. Amen? Now, the, the world would tell you, especially the world right here in Santa Cruz, that, you know, it's all in you. You know, you need, you know, you need to release the chi, right? 
Chi, cheese is something you put on a ham sandwich, right? But chi, man, that ain't about it. releasing the chi or the positive thought or, you know, storming this stuff up from within you or getting in the lotus position and finding your center and having the white serpent call, crawl up out of your spine. What a bunch of noise. But the reality is that the world tries to say that, the, that this positive thought or this power comes from within you, but the Bible says that within you dwelleth no good thing. He said the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. It's not our flesh that we magnify. It's our flesh that we must put to death that the Spirit of God might be magnified. Jesus said of John the Baptist, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. There must be less of me and more of him, not more of me. So in us dwelleth no good thing. And I talked to you guys, I know it was kind of humorous, but I was just talking to you about how last week that you know, I was in sales for 18 years, and we used to get these motivational speakers who would come in that would try to tell you that it's the, the positive, the power is within you, and the positive stuff is within you, and you just need to release the power, you know, the Tony Robbins kind of mentality. Just release the power, that's what you need to do, and everybody's jumping up and down. And you know, and you get all this stuff, but the reality is, again, that within us dwelleth no good thing. And in a, this one motivational speaker, as I shared with you last week, You know, he said he had this mantra that really worked for him. He would just get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say to himself, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And during this message, he said it was about 10 times, he says, everybody stand up and look at me and say, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. And he just kept going on and on. And this guy was really godless. And as I said last week, if this guy doesn't come to know Christ, he'll be sizzling, but there will be no power and very little enthusiasm. Amen? But the reality is, we don't drum this up from within us. It must come with, with God reaching down and transforming us. We must be desperate for Him, not trying to be better in and of ourselves. Even in the church today, we've gone to the positive you know, thought movement. I told you last week that, that Robert Schuller says that when he looks at the cross, he thinks of a big plus symbol. You know, it's a big positive, it's a plus sign. And when we look at the cross, it's all this positive thought, and we just have to be real positive I'll tell you something, just trying and thinking real hard and being real positive has never worked out for me. How about you guys? Amen? It's when I die to self and I'm instead filled with the Spirit of the living God. And that's what Acts chapter 2 is really all about. And the Word of God and total dependence upon the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and anoint God's people, that's what convicts and draws the lost. But in the church today, it's been replaced by programs and focus groups and target marketing and mass mailing, seeking to draw a crowd with entertainment and to preach to the felt needs of the masses. But you know what? The book of Acts, they didn't have buildings, they didn't have the money, they didn't have the political influence, they didn't have the social status, they didn't have, you know, the flying Walindas coming on Wednesday night, they didn't have Bozo Clown in the parking lot or the petting zoo, they didn't have any of that stuff that people used to draw the crowds. What did they have? They had the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? The whole world was turned upside down. Instead of trying to preach to the felt needs of the masses and having ten ways to financial freedom or, or five keys to happiness, we need to understand and know the God of the Bible. We need to fall in love with Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead and be filled with the Spirit of the living God. And if that happens, we will turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Amen? It's not about drawing people. We can draw a crowd. I can hand, we can hand $100 bills at the door and we'll get a real big crowd here next week. But the reality is it's not about drawing a crowd. It's about making disciples and being conformed to the image of the creator of the universe. Why did the church explode? Because it was totally dependent upon the Holy Spirit. 
So we're going to pick up this morning, and last week we looked at the church waiting, and we remember that they went into the upper room and they were waiting for the Holy Spirit because the Lord had told them to do so. And as they waited, they prayed and they sought the face of God, and then the Holy Spirit came upon them. There was a mighty rushing wind that came. There was a sound that came from heaven. And notice the sound came from heaven. The sound didn't come from, you know, a, a motivational speaker. The sound didn't come from, you know, the, the, sitting in the lotus position or crawling on glass to Mecca. The sound came from heaven. And when the sound came from heaven, a, a rushing mighty wind came, and then there were tongues of fire upon each one of them. And as we saw last week, when you put wind with fire, what do you get? You get a blaze, you get an inferno. And what happened was that they began to speak in other tongues, but it's interesting to point out that when they spoke, all the people were drawn unto them and they heard the wonderful works of God. They weren't just babbling and it wasn't this out-of-control confusion. The Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? You're not going to have somebody in the middle of a church service get up and start wailing in some unknown tongue while the pastor's teaching. Why? Because the Holy Spirit would never interrupt himself. So have you ever been to a church where they ring a chime and everybody just starts speaking in tongues all at the same time? Not biblical and outside of God's will. Because God's word is very clear what it talks about. But the Holy Spirit wants to pour out, be poured out upon us that we might have an impact on the world around us. So they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and God used them in a mighty way. So we see here that they went from, from faith waiting to faith or to the church waiting to church worshiping and now we're going to pick up this week and we're going to see the church witnessing so let's look at verse beginning in verse 14 and i'm just going to catch you up here a little bit and what has happened at this point is the people heard the people speaking in these other tongues and they all came together and said what is this all about how is it that these guys are all from galilee and and they're speaking in every tongue of every person that's here the wonderful works of god why is it we can all understand them and it says there in verse 12, they were all perplexing, whatever could this mean? And some said, these guys are drunk. There were some that said, hey, I can hear them speaking in my own language, the wonderful works of God, they're all from Galilee, how can this be true? We heard the rushing, the sound, and we all ran here, and now we're seeing them and, and witnessing them, ministering the wonderful works of God, and some wanted to know more, and others said they were drunk. And as we talked about last week, whenever God does great things, when the Holy Spirit moves, there are those in the world that will doubt. In John 12, when they heard God's voice, they said it was thunder. At the resurrection, they said, oh, somebody stole his body. And when the Holy Spirit came, they accused them of being drunk. Well, now we're going to pick up and look at, from the church again, waiting to worshiping to now witnessing. Look at verse 14. Now, this is backtracking a little bit last week, but I want to catch us up. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, after they said, whatever does this mean, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now this is the same Peter who 50 days earlier was denying the Savior. The same Peter when a, a young girl came up to him while he was warming himself at the enemy's fire and said, you're one of them. You're one of those followers of Christ. It says in the text that he cussed, he cursed, and said, I don't know who he is. And he cursed. And at that moment, he looked across, and the Lord was being brought out of the praetorium, and he saw, his eyes met the eyes of Christ, and he went away and wept bitterly. Now we see that same Peter, when Jesus rose from the dead, he said, go tell my disciples, and especially Peter, that I've risen. A picture of God's grace. Here's somebody who for three days was weeping and mourning, and the Lord sent him especially to Peter to let him know, I still love you, Pete. 
I still, have a, I still have a plan for your life. And maybe you're here this morning and you've walked away from God and you've totally blown it and you feel like you're outside of God's will. I want you to know something that the Lord would say, go tell my disciples, especially you, that He loves you. And He still has a plan for your life and He still wants to use you. Amen? That's the God that we serve. And so we see this Peter now go from being this guy who's, who's shaking in his boots when this little girl comes up and says, you're one of these Christians. And now he's standing up in front of the entire crowd and getting ready to preach the gospel unlike anything anybody's ever done in the history of mankind. What happened to Peter? What happened to this guy who was, no, I don't know him, but in cussing, to this guy standing up and we're going to see him just bring the word of God without compromise. What transformed Peter? The Holy Spirit. What will transform you and I from being people who are ashamed of the gospel, being people who are focused on the world, being people trying to do things in our flesh, to being people who can be used mightily by God to transform the world around us? It's the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that transformed Peter's life can transform your life even today. Amen? That's the God that we serve. God's not dead, despite what the world might try to tell you. The Holy Spirit still wants to do that same work in us. So here's Peter, and he says to them, and I want you to notice the first thing he does as he witnesses. He begins to witness to them, and he doesn't take them to the 12-step program. And he doesn't take them to, to the, you know, the most popular thing in the culture that day. And he doesn't start feeding them a bunch of psychology. What does he take them to? What does he take them to? The Word. He takes them to the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's God's Word that transforms lives, not the psychology of men. And then he says to them, and remember, he's speaking to Jews, so he, where does he take them? He takes them to the Old Testament letter of the, of the prophet Joel, and here's what it says. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire, vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, and before that great coming day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Do you know that prior to Jesus' resurrection, that when people wanted to know God, that they were living under the sacrificial system? And they had to take that firstborn spotless lamb in and, and slit its throat, and they had to continue to make sacrifice, pushing their sins a year forward to the coming Messiah. But after Jesus rose from the dead, all they had to do was call upon the name of the Lord, and they would be saved. We don't have to drag lambs in here anymore. Aren't you glad? Amen? Because the perfect Lamb of God hung on the cross in our place. Our sins have been paid for, and now all we must do is call upon the name of the Lord. And then he says to them, so he quotes to them, he reads them the Word of God, and then he begins to exposit Scripture. This is the first expository message in the Bible. He first reads the Word and shares the Word with them, and then he's going to make application to those guys who are standing around. Okay, now I've told you the word, and I've explained to you what you just saw. These guys were not drunk. It's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. The Holy Spirit's fallen upon them. That's what you've seen. And now let me exhort you guys. It says in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. When he shares his faith, he points men to the cross. When we share our faith, we need to be pointing people to the cross. Amen? Where does salvation take place? It took place at the cross. Amen? It's not our good works. It's not us joining a church. It's not us getting plugged into an association. It's realization that we are sinners in desperate need of a Savior, and the work took place upon the cross. But then he, and, and I love this, that he speaks with authority. Look at him filled with the Spirit of the living God. He says, look, the miracles he did, you guys all know about because you were here. And you saw them. And notice that no one's going to dispute his words. And then he said, you took by lawless hands and have crucified and put to death. And then it says in verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was, po- it was not possible that he should be held by it. Understand that Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior. I'm not going to go into the details, but the reality is that all other gods are dead. Amen? Every other god, you can dig up their bones. Those of you who go to Israel with us in March have said this before. We're going to go into the very tomb where Jesus' body was laying, and He's not there anymore. He is a risen and living Savior. Some of you might have heard, I was on a, a, a Christian call-in show yesterday, uh, Friday, and one of the, some of the questions that were asked, and one lady later was talking about, you know, how do you know that there aren't many ways to God? And the reality is that all other paths end with dead prophets and dead messiahs and dead leaders. And guess what? Their ways lead to death. But Jesus Christ is a risen and living Savior. This is only 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And He's saying to them all, you know He was crucified, and you know that He's risen. No doubt about it. One of the most provable facts anywhere in the Bible. Then again, where does He take them? He shares with them the truth. He tells them that He's risen from the dead, and He takes them right back to the Word one more time and quotes out of Psalms. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand that I, should not, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in his hope. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Now the Jews attributed these words to David and they thought that David was talking about himself. But David was a type of who? Christ. He's a picture of Christ in the Old Testament. And he says there, you shall not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. Now Hades is a, is a term that refers to a general place of the dead. Where did the Old Testament believers go upon their death? Abraham's bosom. And when they were there, we know this, if you look in Luke 16, there's the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus was one who served God, and he was a beggar seated by the gate, and the rich man was, was died, and he was in a place of torment. Hell. Separation from God. Sheol, the place of the dead, right? But he was in a place of suffering, and he looked across this great gulf, and he saw Lazarus there in Abraham's bosom, and he was in a place not of death or of torment, but a place of waiting for when the Messiah would pay the price and the debt would be paid. How many of you have ever heard about, they, they use the term that Jesus descended into hell and set the captives free, right? Heard of that? That's what Jesus did. He didn't go into the lake of fire. 
People say, well, no, Jesus didn't go in the lake of fire and he didn't have to suffer any torment in hell because Jesus Christ said it is finished when he was on the cross. Amen? There's people out there teaching that Jesus had to go down and suffer in hell. No, he didn't. Okay? He went into Abraham's bosom and he set the captives free. And that's what this is talking about. You shall not leave my soul in Hades. Did not remain there, but he set the captives free, David included. And then, and, and this is speaking of Jesus Christ himself, and he, was, he delivered the captives from the, the place of waiting. Nor will your holy one see corruption. And of course, this can't be David because we know that David died. So this is speaking of Jesus Christ. So where does Peter take those guys who are standing around and doubting? He takes them to the Word. And where do we need to take people? who are doubting and don't know the true and living God, we take them to God's Word. Because God's Word alone is what transforms the lives of people. And you and I, and he says, you've made known to me the ways of life. And I love this because when David says it back in Psalms, he says, you will make known to me. And, and when it's said here by Peter, he says, you have made known to me. You know why? Because Jesus has come. And Jesus made known to them the way of life because Jesus is the way and is the truth and is the life. Amen? John 14, 6. There is no other way, there is no other truth, and there is no other life apart from Jesus Christ. Well, Pastor Dave, that's so narrow. You mean all the Buddhists, they're following a big fat dead guy, okay? And Buddha did not die on the cross for your sins, and Buddha did not create the universe he is created not creator amen and you can go and look at every other you know religious figure that people follow but jesus christ alone is the way and he's the truth and the life and i'm glad there aren't 500 ways wouldn't that be confusing and here's what the enemy does the enemy comes and instead of you know trying to make you not believe that there's any way he tries to bring false ways He tries to confuse people by using a grain of truth and people can follow, well, there's some good things in this and they follow it, but in the end, it leads to destruction. Jesus Christ alone paid the price. Anybody else you know of raising from the dead? Did anybody else speak the world into existence? Is anybody else seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you daily? Is there anybody else that's coming back in clouds of great glory and calling us back into himself that we'll spend eternity with in heaven? The answer is no. So there's only one that can pay the price for our sin. And Jesus Christ is the way and the truth and the life. Verse 29. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried and is in his tomb with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would rise up the Christ to sit on his throne. David was, or Jesus was a descendant of David, right? And this is what it's talking about here, that he would raise up according to the flesh. He would raise up from the fruit of his body. And Jesus was a descendant of David, and Jesus was the one who fulfilled this scripture. He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses." Is it enough just to believe that Jesus lived? Is it enough just to believe that Jesus lived? It's not enough. Well, I believe in Jesus. Well, what does that mean? Well, I believe that he walked around on the earth. Well, good for you. I, I would hope so. I mean, what's the date today? What is August? What is that? I don't know what August what? August 10th, what year? 
2,003 years since what? Since Jesus. A.D., in the year of our Lord. That's what it means. It's 2,003 years since Jesus. So the whole world confesses, in a sense, every time they write a check, every time they put the date down on anything, they're confessing that Jesus Christ did indeed live. But is that enough? It's not enough just to believe that Jesus walked around on the planet. And it's interesting to me that when you go back to Exodus, those of you who have been coming with us on Wednesday nights, that at the Passover, they had to take the blood of the firstborn spotless lamb. They not only had to kill the lamb, but then they had to take the blood and apply it to the doors of their house. You guys remember that story out of Exodus? If you've seen Ten Commandments, right? Okay. They take the blood and they applied it in the shape of what? Of a cross. So it wasn't enough to slit the lamb's blood. The blood of the lamb had to be applied to the doorpost. It's not enough just to believe that the lamb existed. The blood of the lamb must be applied to my life and to your life. And what he points them to here is that Jesus died, but you know what? He's also risen. We need to understand that he is risen. Any message apart from the resurrection is not a gospel message. He is a risen and a living Savior. Peter, filled with boldness, what does he do? He takes him to the Word and he points directly to the resurrection. Verse 33. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received the From the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out that which you now see and hear. He says to them, you know what you've seen? This is not people being drunk. This is not people just being caught up in their emotions. This is Almighty God having ascended to the Father, pouring out His Holy Spirit upon His people. And when He does, they now have that dunamis, dynamite Holy Spirit power. Now, He points to the Word. He takes him to the Word. He points to the truth of the resurrection, and then he points to the transformation of those who follow Christ. This is what you would call your testimony. You know what? Some of you might say, well, Pastor Day, I've been a Christian for three months or six months, and I haven't memorized the Bible, and you know, I don't know all the doctrinal questions, and I can go on the Bible answer. Somebody asked me where Cain got his wife, and I won't know the answer, and I'm just going to be a wreck, so I just can't share my faith. Let me tell you something you can all share. You can point to Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead, and you can talk about who you were and who you are now that you met Jesus. Amen? Can we all do that? That's our testimony, and that's undeniable. And what he's pointing them to here is he takes them to the Word, then he points to the resurrection, and he says, you see these tra- the transformation in these people? You see how they're speaking the wonderful works of God with power? That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what God does in the lives of people who wait upon Him. You know what? We should be so in love with Jesus that I scare people in our family that knew us before we were saved. Amen? Dude, what's up with you, right? I went to my high school reunion, and and I was even a Christian in school, but, you know, my, my relationship with God is a little deeper now than it was in high school. And people are like, dude, whoa, man, what happened to you? And, you know, there should be that radical transformation in our lives. We're new creations in Christ. We used to be dead in our trespasses and sins. You know, if you go down to the morgue and you pull out a dead body, if I drug a dead body in here, laid it on the ground, and I stood next to it, I would hope you could tell the difference. Amen? And you know what? The Bible says the world is dead in their trespasses and sins, and we should be different than the world. We should supernaturally love people the way that God wants us to. Amen? We should be ministering to the lost and loving people in a supernatural way. We're filled with it. Man, you sound like a Jesus freak or something. And you know what? The reality is, who better to be a freak for than Jesus Christ? Amen? A religious fanatic. I'll take that, okay? I don't like the 
religious because of what it's come to mean, but religio, a relingara means to relink, relinking sinful man back to holy God. And man, that's God's desire is to relink us back to holy God. And so he takes him here and he says, he poured out his spirit, verse 34, for David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool. Again, he quotes David. He speaks of the exaltation of the Messiah. And he's pointing out to them one more time. He's saying, look, he was talking about Jesus, not himself. David did not ascend. Jesus did. And it had just happened 10 days earlier, and no one could dispute it. Verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Christ. Here's something I think is missing in the church today. Do you know that He needs to be more than just your Savior? Amen? A lot of Christians view Christianity as, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I I want the get-out-of-hell-free card. Amen? I want to take that thing and date it and put it in my wallet and say, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer and I know I'm going to heaven and now I'm just going to live like the world. But the reality is, He's either Lord of all or He's not Lord at all. And Jesus is both Christ, which is Messiah, which is Savior, but He also must be Lord. And understand this, making Jesus your Lord is not a no-fun, bummer program. A lot of people think if you make Jesus Lord of your life, oh man, I have to be one of those Christians. Can't have no fun anymore. Right? Right? I've said it before, you know, the wheelbarrow full of rules and the black robe with heaven at the end. Oh, yeah, but I'm going to heaven when this is over. And we think that that's what it means to make Him Lord. You know what? When my kids walk in obedience to their dad, their earthly dad, who's fallible and who makes mistakes, do you know that my kids have a great deal of joy, that we have a great time? Because I love my kids and I know what's best for them, and I'm going to keep them out of harm's way, and I'm going to bless them. I'm going to give and give and give and give till I can't give anymore because I love my children. And I'm an imperfect dad. What do you think our perfect heavenly father wants to give us? Does he want you to have a no fun, bummer life? The Bible says the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness. And you know what? The word there for love is agape. And the reality is that you cannot have joy apart from Christ. No one is happier on this planet than me. Nobody. Why? Because I know where I'm headed. I know who my Savior is. That can be true of you as well. You should be able to say, hey, I I know where I'm headed. I understand what life's all about. The world's trying to understand the meaning of life. Let me tell you the meaning of life. Jesus. Amen? That's it. Well, what's the meaning of life? It's Jesus. Well, what's the answer to the world's problems? Jesus. Well, we're struggling with it. What, What do we need to do? We need to turn to Jesus. Amen? It's Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead. That's what transforms our lives. And we see here that we need to fall in love with Him. And He can't just be Savior. Not just to get out of hell free card and see, hang out with God one hour on Sunday morning in some really hard chairs in a gymnasium. Right? It's having a relationship with Him. Having Him be your best friend. He loves you. We're His bride. If I only hung out with my wife one hour a week on Sunday morning, we would not be married for very long. Right? She needs to be my best friend. And that's the Lord that we serve. He wants to be our best friend. Now when they heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Great question. These guys were cut to the heart 
And what is it that brought conviction to these guys? It was God's Word. God's Word convicted them. They heard the Word of God, the Holy Spirit moved on their hearts, and they said, what do we have to do? Oh, Jesus was the Messiah, and we missed Him, you guys. What do we have to do? What must we do? Men and brethren, what must we do? And the word there, cut, means to pierce or to stab, and it denotes something sudden and unexpected. And in grief and remorse and intense spiritual conviction, these guys cried out and said, what must we do? Understand that without conviction, there can be no conversion. If we don't don't realize we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. Amen? Too many churches today say, well, I don't want to talk about sin because people will never come back. Well, if you're trying to draw a crowd, just be the Kiwanis Club and you know, throw the circus out in the parking lot and be done with it. But here's the reality. If you want to see people's lives transformed, you want to see people become new creations in Christ, they must realize first that they're sinners. So if you don't, didn't know it when you got here, just let me make it really clear. You're a sinner. Amen? That was weak. You're a sinner. Amen? Okay. Now, how many murders does it take to be a murderer? How many sins does it take to be a sinner? We're sinners. But here's the good news. We can be sinners saved by grace. Amen? If we don't realize we're sinners, we'll see no need for a Savior. We think we can crawl up in the lotus position and and chant and, and do ohms and hum, and somehow we'll get in oneness with creation. But we are sinners in need of a Savior, and if God allows one sin in heaven, He's got earth part too. So there can be no sin in heaven, but we're all sinners. That's a, oh, we got a problem. There can't be any sin in heaven, and Pastor Dave has sinned with a lot of zeros at the end. And so that I can't go. Apart from Christ, I can't. It is finished. He paid the price. Praise God. They're cut to the heart. They're convicted. What must we do? And look at verse 38. Then Peter said to them, go join a 12-step program and get plugged. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> Peter said to them, go out, just be a really good person and give to charity. He didn't say that either. He said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He didn't say, just keep living your life and try to do better. He didn't say, the power's within you and you just got to believe it and you can achieve it. He didn't say, just say this with me, I sizzle with power and enthusiasm. (laughs) He didn't do any of that. What did he do? He said, repent. People don't like that word today, do they? Dude, that's hellfire and brimstone talking about repentance. Do you know that Jesus had one message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? You know that John the Baptist had one message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Paul had one message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? Peter had one message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? I'm thinking I'd like to be in the same club with Jesus and Peter and Paul and John the Baptist instead of following after you know, some church program that says, don't tell people about sin. You know what? I'd rather have a hundred disciples than entertain a thousand people who are lost and don't know Jesus Christ. Amen? People in love with the Lord, wanting to know Him better. And He says here very clearly, repent. And repent doesn't mean, I'm sorry. That's not repentance. If I say, if I go up here and smack Joe with my forearm as hard as I can, he'd probably throw me on the ground and kill me. But if I hit him as hard as I could, and then I said, dude, I'm sorry, and then I racked him again, I'm sorry, whack, I'm sorry. And how many of you feel like that's your life with the Lord sometimes? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? 
Repent doesn't mean I'm sorry. Repent means to turn. That's what it means. It means I was going this way. I was all about me. It was all about serving my flesh. It was all about doing things according to my will. And repent means to do a 180, and now I'm serving and following God. Now, does that mean I never sin again? No, I still sin. But the difference is, as a Christian, I run from sin. As an unbeliever, I run to it. When I sin as a Christian, it grieves my heart, and it causes me to repent again and to draw near to Him. But repent doesn't just mean to say I'm sorry, to get the get-out-of-hell-free card and have the Savior. But repent means to turn and say, I want you to be Lord. I want to give you my life completely. He says, repent. And He says, if you do, and then He says, be baptized. Now you have to understand that being baptized in those days was different than it is for most of us. I'm going to India in October. I Please pray for my trip. I'm going to be training 500 pastors how to study and teach their Bible to, to the pastors that the churches are going to be pastoring. I'm looking forward to it. I know they're going to minister to me way more than I minister to them. But here's the reality, that in India or in the first century church, when you were baptized, you were saying goodbye to your old life. Baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of our Savior. And when you made a public confession of Christ as a Jew, you were no longer allowed in the synagogue. Your family would disown you. In India today, the same thing happens. Your family has a funeral for you. It's like you're a dead person. But you know what? We need to be baptized, which is to make an outward confession of an inward change. You're not baptized so you can be saved. You are baptized because you have been saved. It says there, for the remission of sins, the better translation in the original language is because of. Because your sins have been forgiven, be baptized. Make an outward statement to the world of an inward change. Hey, I want to tell you something. As a pastor, one of the things I absolutely love, almost more than anything else, I love seeing people get saved, but I love when I see people get baptized. I love it. Four of our high schoolers got baptized down at camp. Praise the Lord. Amen? And what I love about that is, is it's letting the world know, I want to be recognized and identified with Jesus Christ from this day forward. I'm no longer alive, it's no longer me, but it's now Him who lives in me. Verse 39, For the promise is to you, and to your children, and to all who are afar off, as, as many as the Lord our God will call. So who's this promise for? He's speaking to this group, but who else is the promise for? It's for us. All who are afar off, the Gentiles, the believers that are to come. And the promise is very simple. If we believe in Jesus Christ, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shall come upon you. Then Peter, look at verse 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So exhortive messages were in the first century church. It's okay to exhort people. You say, well, yeah, I know. That's why I came to this church more than once, right? I mean, the reality is that it's okay to exhort people. Exhortation means to encourage you to action. And Paul is exhorting them with many words, saying, look, guys, Jesus is risen, and now your life needs to be different. And he exhorted them to change. He encouraged them that their lives would be transformed. And he exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Don't have a lot of time to go into it, but I'll tell you what. I know in the days of Noah it said there was wickedness on the earth. I know in the time of Sodom and Gomorrah when it was wiped out. But I'll tell you what. Have you been paying any attention to what's happening in our world right now? We live in a perverse generation. Minnesota just approved homosexual marriage. 
The Episcopal Church has raised up homosexual bishops. Um, you turn on any TV now, and it's just filled with adultery and fornication. I mean, it's just out of control. And you're like a weirdo if you tell somebody, I'm going to wait till I'm married. Dude, what's wrong with you? You're just like the exception and not the rule, even in the church today. We live in a perverse generation, amen? And we're not, not to be conformed to this world. We are to minister to the world, but not have fellowship with it. And he's telling them very clearly here, be saved from this perverse generation. We shouldn't be surprised when the world acts like the world. But we should be surprised when the church acts like the world. Amen? We're not to be like the world. We're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to use worldly standards in the body of Christ. We need to be following Jesus Christ and watch Him do great and awesome things. What does the world desperately need? They need the Lord. Why are people going around and sleeping with 100 people? They're trying to find joy and peace. And they're not going to find it there. Why do people work 90 hours a week and lie and cheat and steal to get their business you know, really successful so they can have a lot of money so then they'll have peace? And I've told you that you know, Elvis Presley said he'd give all his fame and all his fortune and everything he had for 15 minutes of peace. Because peace doesn't come from fame, and peace doesn't come from, from power, and peace doesn't come from you know, having a lot of physical relationships. Peace comes only from knowing Jesus Christ. Amen? And so we see here, be saved from this perverse generation. Look what it said. Then those who gladly received His word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You want to talk about a church growth movement. This church went from 120 people to 3,120 roughly people. And, and it grew in one message. And it wasn't because Bozo the Clown was there, or the Flying Wallenders, or the big fat guy getting shot with a cannonball. And they didn't draw people, you know, with some kind of game or showmanship. They weren't playing chubby bunnies or building marshmallow towers. And when I was a youth pastor, I used to say, what you win them with is what you'll win them to. And they won them with the Word of God. The Word was repent. And they all said, we need Jesus. That's it. This is what I've been looking for. And they gave their lives to the Lord, and their lives were transformed, and they impacted the world around them. That's the message today, amen? Is there any greater message than that? We're sinners, but our Savior came and died, and He loves us, and He paid the price for us. And it's finished. All you have to do is confess and believe in Him. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, was used mightily by God, and he preached the simple message. And finally here, about five minutes worth, look at verses 42 through 47. And we're going to look at the church walking in the Spirit. Now, this is what the church looked like then, and this is what the church ought to look like today. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. What would that be? God's Word. They continued steadfastly in the Word of God. Again, they didn't continue steadfastly in, you know, having worldly things. They didn't continue steadfastly in rock concerts. You know, they didn't continue steadfastly in all the other stuff the world has to offer in feeding the flesh. They continued steadfastly in God's Word. And you know what? When you're filled with the Spirit of the living God, the Bible is not boring. Nothing bugs me more when someone says, well, the Bible, you can't just teach people the Bible for an hour. They'll never sit through it. People will sit through three hours of the Lord of the Rings. We can teach people the Bible for an hour. Amen? People will sit up in the morning and watch three football games in a row on New Year's Day, and I've done it, right? We can teach people the Bible for an hour. Amen? It's God's Word that transforms lives. We shouldn't apologize. Well, I keep my messages to 12 minutes or less. <laughs> Sermonettes for Christianettes, right? We need a, this is God's Word that changes us. 
We need to be in God's Word, letting it transform our lives. The teaching of the Word of God, the foundation for both spiritual growth and maturity. So that's what they did in the early church. What else did they do? And fellowship. The word there for fellowship is koinonia. It means to be in partnership, to have in common. You've heard me say this before. Those you hang out with are those you'll become like. Right? You become like the people you hang out with. If you hang out with the world, you're going to become like the world. If you hang out with believers and you hang out with people on fire for God, then they're going to have an impact on you. You're going to keep them accountable. They're going to keep you accountable. Amen? So you become like those you hang out with. Fellowship in the breaking of bread. I like that. You know that the Lord loved to eat. You ever notice that? Jesus had a lot of feasts. We will be having feasts in heaven, by the way, with no cholesterol and no calories. How about that? That's going to be sweet. You can have bread and meat at the same meal, and it's okay. Right? Right? It's going to be awesome. But the breaking of bread here, you see that when they broke bread, that was a, a picture of really tight communion. You know, you, when you invited someone over and you broke a meal with them, that was a sign of a, a really tight picture of fellowship. It's also a picture of communion itself, the Lord's Supper, that they would break bread together in remembrance of the cross. And you know, a habit that I've gotten out of that I, I want to encourage you to get in is that when my wife and I live in Southern California, every Sunday we had somebody over for lunch. Every Sunday. We just did it. We made a desire. And you know what? We got to know people. And it's hard to get to know each other if we come to church and we sit down on a chair and as soon as church is over, run out the door as fast as we can like our hair's on fire, right? I mean, the reality is that there needs to be that fellowship and that time of encouraging one another and holding up each other's hands. Christianity's not for the Lone Ranger. And then prayer. The Bible says you shall make my Father's house a house of prayer. When was the last time you spent intimate time one-on-one with the Lord? When was the last time you got together with some other Christian friends and prayed and sought God's face? Let me encourage you. When God, God moves, when people pray, verse 43. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done to the apostles. The word there is amazement or awe. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Why do people live ungodly lifestyles with reckless abandon? No fear of God. Right? None. If they truly believed that God was real, they, they would stop and think about what they were doing. But when they do with reckless abandon, it's because of no fear of God. Verse 44. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they sold the possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So not only did they have the word and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer, but they also had unity in the body. They were not caught up with chasing after the, the riches of this world. Let me just say this to you. Well, Pastor Dave, I, I can only come to church about once every two months because we've got other stuff that's kind of important to us. Okay. Why don't you just rephrase that and say there's other things more important in my life than God. He's just not tops on my list right now. I can make it every once in a while. Be honest about it. You know, during the summer, I like to go water skiing every weekend. And, and hey, go on a vacation, you should. But is water skiing more important than God? I love to water ski, by the way. Love it. And you know what? I said this on a Wednesday night. What we show our children as the most important thing is what they will believe is the most important thing. If we tell our kids that football is more important than God, don't be surprised later when they think football is more important than God. When we say going to this concert or going to this or going to that and we put that ahead of our relationship with the Lord, then just be honest about it and say that that's more important to me than my relationship with Jesus Christ. 
Now, I'm not just telling you this so you'll all be here next Sunday. Right? It's not why I'm doing it. When you're not here, the gifts that you have are not here. And people who are here don't get ministered to the way they could if everybody who was called to be here was here. And you don't, are not ministered to by others the way that you should be when you're not here. The Bible says, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together and all the more as the time approaches. As Jesus Christ's coming is closer, and it is closer every day, that we should be gathering more and more, not less and less. Amen? And it doesn't mean, well, I have to go to church. Man, we should be so in love with the Lord that we can't wait to get here. You know what? I love you guys. And I look forward to Sunday and Wednesday and Friday morning at the Heavenly Cafe. And I, I just love hanging out with you guys. And there's no place I'd rather... If I had an hour left on the planet, I'd be hanging out with you guys. Because you're my family and I love you guys and you encourage me and you strengthen me in my walk. And we're... What, I'm going to go watch a stupid football game that next year I won't remember the score from anyway? Right? I remember back in the day when God convicted me big time. I was the biggest... Most of you know I played football through college and I love football. Well... I decided that God put on my heart, I need to take some Bible college classes. So guess when Bible college started? On, the, on Monday nights, and the first Monday night, the Niners were playing the Raiders on Monday night football. And the Lord was just like, okay, there it is, Dave. What's most important to you? Oh, but not the Niner game. You know, if it's the Packers and the Chiefs, Lord, I could, you know, but the Niners, come on. And I went to Bible college, and I was so blessed, and I still enjoy football, you know. You don't, have to, you, know, you don't have to sit around and just read your Bible 24 hours a day and eat dry bread and never have any fun. That's not what the Lord says. But our relationship with Him has got to come first. Amen? He loved me so much that He died for me. Can't I live for Him? Amen? Can't I live for Him? And then lastly, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who added to the church? The Lord did. Not the programs. We got this formula. You just got to use it. Send out this mailer and the, your church will triple in size. And we get these calls all the time. What do you want to do to grow your church? I'm just going to love people and teach them the Bible. And as they get on fire for God, healthy sheep will beget healthy sheep. Amen? You're just going to fall in love with Jesus and be contagious because you just can't help it. Because you're going to have a burden for the lost the way that our Savior does. And so the last thing you see here is a heart to worship. And then the Lord adding to the church. So may we be men and women who wait upon God, who worship the Lord, who witness of Him, and who walk the way the first century church walked. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You and we praise You for Your Word. And we thank You that You desire to pour out Your Holy Spirit upon every single one of us, Lord. You promise in Your Word, if we'll simply ask that Your Holy Spirit... Go from being with us to in us by confessing we're sinners, that you will put your Holy Spirit in us and will be new creations in Christ. But then you also tell us in your word, as we saw in the chapter this morning, that if we simply ask, that your Holy Spirit will come upon us. And we won't have this weak living, trying to do things in our flesh kind of Christianity anymore. But Father, we can walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit being led by you. Father, I pray for every person here who agrees, agrees with me now in their own hearts, Lord, just to pour out your Spirit upon us. Father, we leak. And Lord, we just ask that you pour out your Spirit afresh upon each one of us, that we might be the men and women of God you've called us to be. We ask all these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.